0: Hey, everybody, welcome to Jim Kelly's 19th hole. Glad you're with us. As we say hello again from Jim Kelly's 19th hole, our first guest up has a birthday coming up on May the 9th. Our friend, a native of Kerrville, Texas, out of the University of Houston with a degree in psychology that I can honestly tell you in the 40-some years that I've known him, he's done absolutely nothing with, is John Mahaffey. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> Thanks a
0: lot, you know, and you're that, absolutely right. Absolutely right. That degree in psychology did nothing for your golf career or for your, uh, your book writing career, which we'll get to. But, uh, for those that don't know about John Mahaffey, just a little background and context. He, uh, came out of the University of Houston and turned pro back when Andy Williams and Glenn Campbell both had television shows and had golf tournaments named after them back in 1971. He was the NCAA champion for the Cougars out of the University of Houston. He won 10 times on the PGA Tour, including the 78 PGA Championship at Oakmont, where he came from seven strokes down to Tom Watson with only 14 holes to go to record his biggest win of the 10, but he also won, of course, the Bob Hope in Palm Springs, won the Players' Championship, played on the Ryder Cup, and won a tournament on the Champions Tour where he is currently announcing for our friends at the Golf Channel. John, welcome.
1: Thanks a lot, Jim. Nice to be with you. Nice what to have, hear your voice again.
0: What? Well, it's nice to be heard again. What, what have you been doing for 40 years?
1: <laughs> well, I played a little bit of golf until uh... – I had double hip replacement and about that time uh the golf channel came around and uh you were there when i when i first started out and gave me some helpful tips that uh, i remember to this day and i I do appreciate that but it's been a nice run doing that with the golf channel for some 15 to 16 years now and i uh, i wrote a book uh, a couple of years ago called hogan's boy a journey in golf because i wanted to to get out some of the things i that I felt I really appreciated the fact that I played, uh, spanned three eras of the game of golf, playing with the likes of Nicholas and Watson and those guys, but also all the way back to Hogan, Steve, and Nelson, all the way up to Tiger and Phil. So, and I wanted to talk about in the book mostly uh, some of it's autobiographical, but mostly uh, some of my Hogan was my mentor for 20 years, so some of the anecdotes that we had together. But basically to kind of give guys a different perspective of how these guys really work. I mean, a lot of them were were considered very hard and callous. They they were when they competed, yes, but they were also very giving if they thought that you had some ability and would work at it.
0: Well, it's interesting that you mentioned Mr. Hogan because I will always refer to him as Mr. Hogan, but I had the great honor back in the mid-'90s of interviewing him at the headquarters of the then Hogan Golf Company and if you remember, I mean, we flew all night from Napa. We were doing the tournament, the Transamerica there. Uh, we flew all night. We got there, met with David Huber of the Hogan Company and his PR guy, a great little gentleman named Eli. And they told me, they said, Jim, if Mr. Hogan doesn't like you or doesn't like your questions, he's likely to rip that microphone off. And we sat patiently. I'm in my jacket and tie. We had two cameras set up and Mr. Hogan came in after his routine of hitting golf balls and having his toasted chicken salad sandwich and his glass of milk, and he shook hands with me, and my hand disappeared. It was like me grabbing my granddaughter's hand. My palm disappeared. He had huge hands. He could not have been nicer for about an hour and a half. We rolled and filled up two cassettes of tapes and he gave me that photograph of him hitting the one iron at Marion and autographed it. So that's my personal remembrance of Mr. Hogan. And I know you've got a bunch.
1: Well, that's that's exactly right. I mean, I, I was so lucky to uh, meet him. Sort of, It's really not really a fluke. It's in my book. But uh, I, when I went to the University of Houston, I won the NCAA in 1970. Also was tied Ben Crenshaw for Low Amateur in the U.S. Open that year at Hazeltine in 1970. So, uh, Jimmy Demerit and Jackie Burke out of Champions would give guys at the University of Houston that were thinking about playing the tour, they give them a chance to work out at the golf course, basically so you, that you could hit a lot of practice balls and play and, and stuff like that. And also to give you a sense of why you didn't want to be behind the counter selling golf balls to Mr. and Mrs. Jones, who just came in to ask you what you were going to do with the cart that broke down on 15th. So that's not the life that I I look forward to. But because Demerit and Hogan were best friends, knew that I had learned to play golf out of Ben Hogan's book. We didn't have a teaching professional in Kerrville, Texas, when I grew up. So uh, basically I learned from a book. And uh, Mr. Hogan, uh, they invited him down, or he came down early to play in the Houston International in 1971 uh, when I was working there. And I had the opportunity to play with – Jimmy DeMeritt was my partner. We played against Jackie Burke and and Ben Hogan. And uh, the first day, we had to quit after nine holes. And I'll never forget this. I shot five under par. And Hogan shot two under. And we went in the locker room. And uh, they went and huddled in the corner. And Hogan came over and asked me, he says, do you want to play golf tomorrow? So we played the following day. And it was really windy and and wet from the the day before. and he beat me by a shot that day on the on the Champions Golf Course, um, and uh, again they huddled in the in the corner of the locker room. Came over and Mr. Hogan said, "John, you're going to have dinner at the club tonight, right?" And I said, "No, I'm really not because." Uh, and then one of the members shook his head. "Yes, you are." And I said, "Oh, by the, oh yeah, I am. I am," it's because really assistants weren't allowed to do that back in the day. And so uh, anyway, he said, "Okay, be there at seven o'clock." Hogan came over to my table at 7, precisely, looked me in the eye and said, John, would you like to play at Colonial next week? And I said, uh, I'd love to, Mr. Hogan, but I'm not a member of the tour. And he said, I didn't ask you if you were a member of the tour. I asked (laughs) you if you wanted to play at Colonial next week. I said, "Yes." He made a phone call. I was in, and that's how our relationship started
0: and it continued through the years as a great mentor Mr. Hogan to our guest John Mahaffey. A lot of people that are listening in might not know Jimmy DeMerit, but of course you go back to Shell's Wonderful World of Golf. What was Jimmy DeMerit like, John?
1: Jimmy DeMerit was one of my best friends. And he was absolutely one of the neatest guys I've ever I've ever seen. Uh he did so much he always had a smile, always had a laugh and uh he drove, he drove uh, Jackie Burke nuts, because Jackie Burke is a Marine, and Jimmy DeMerit was more carefree than that. And it was awfully cool to be around those guys, to see the different dynamics.
0: And another one that you got to know of that era, talking about Mr. Hogan and Jimmy DeMerit was obviously uh, the man with the straw hat and the wide, crooked grin, uh, slamming Sammy Sneed with one of the smoothest swings of all time.
1: Well, absolutely, and and actually that's how I got the name Hogan's Boy for the book because the first time I played with Sam Snead, I was a rookie on the tour playing at Sedgefield where he'd won like seven times. And uh, I walk up to the first seat. I'm a little bit nervous, to say the least. I say, Mr. Snead, my name's John and He looked me right in the eye and he said, I know who you are. You're Hogan's Boy. And throughout that whole round, all he would do was say, Hogan would never try that. Hogan could never do this. Hogan couldn't fly it over that bunker. And so we ended up tying, for, the tur- tying uh, for 10th in the tournament. I guess about 30 years, maybe even more years after that, J.C. Sneed and I became very good friends on the senior tour. And so, and he said uh, I was visiting him at his, uh, his farm up in Virginia, and I, he asked me, you want to go see Sam? I said, I'd love to go see Sam. So we drove around the mountain to see Sam and knock on the front door. And Sam was not, was ill at the time and getting really up in in age. And Sam came to the door and and JC said, I don't know if you remember this guy or not. And he said, Oh yeah, that's Hogan's boy. So, (laughs) you know, he had a long memory. I thought that was kind of cool.
0: It was uh, the mid-90s. We were doing the Energizer Senior Tour Championship, the Dunes Golf and Beach Club in Myrtle Beach, and JC and Sam were conducting a clinic on Tuesday afternoon. They had the Black Knights parachute in, and JC was kind of announcing it, and Sam was hitting balls and taking some questions at the end, and he's hitting all kinds of trick shots, hooks and draws and fades and a woman, you know, Sam always had a, an eye for a pretty gal. lady put her hand up, and he called on her toward the end of the clinic, and he said, Mr. Sneed, just how do you get that three iron of yours to back up anyhow on the green? And Sam looked at her and winked and said, ma'am, how far do you hit that three iron of yours? And she said about 110 yards. Sam said, well, why the hell would you ever want it to back up then?
1: That, yeah, that's Sam Sneed for sure, <laughs> no doubt. He, he, was, he always had a clever remark, didn't he?
0: Talking about your book, John Mahaffey, Hogan's Boy, A Journey in Golf, Uh, very impressive because the foreword is written by one Mr. Arnold Palmer.
1: Yeah, that's another part of of this whole deal about being part of the tour and and luckily being a a 10-time winner and winning a major championship is that the camaraderie with the players, the fact that you're probably in one of the greatest fraternities of all time, uh, and you have the respect of of players that you've looked up to all your life, and – you know, you'll never be forgotten in the game. is, is kind of a pretty cool thing. And uh, and Arnold Palmer was always, was one of those that uh, he would kind of put his arm around me if, if he thought I was kind of staring down the wrong road or something say, and say something like, you know, son, you're better than that. You're a better player than that. You need to get kind of get back into focus of what you can really do. You've got a chance to be great in this game. And, you know, you don't have to have – he didn't have to do that. Jack Nicholas was a lot the same way. Lee Trevino taught me three or four different shots. Uh, he taught me the bladed wedge shot. He taught me a lot of different things. Taught me how to fade the golf ball rather than hook it. So, I mean, they were there. To, they would help you if they thought that uh, that you could really put it to use, you know, and, and not just throw it away. Or They said, now, don't give these secrets away. Well, when people saw it, they kind of figured out what you were doing. But still, uh, to, have, to have those guys come up there and take the time to do it, pretty special.
0: John Mahaffey's our guest. He's pretty special. He learned those tricks very well. Ten PGA Tour titles, the 78 PGA Championship at Oakmont, the Bob Hope Desert Classic, the Players' Championship back before it was the TPC Sawgrass. Uh, We'd be remiss if we didn't stroll down uh, Magnolia Lane just a little bit. If memory serves, you played in 12 Masters at Augusta and you tied for 8th back in 1981, what memories of Augusta do you have conjured up in that uh, Kerrville, Texas brain of yours, young man?
1: Well, you were mentioning the one in 1981. I actually had a – that's three years after I'd won the PGA. So you figure that that I was kind of used to the, uh, major golf, if you want to put it that way. I'd lost the U.S. Opens prior to that. But I've been under the heat quite a bit, and I had a chance to catch Tom Watson on that final day. And if people don't think that you don't, that adrenaline is in the big part of the game, they're totally wrong. I walked up to 16, 17, and 18, and I was playing beautiful that day. And I hit a beautiful shot right at, over the flag at 16, kind of up where Tiger shifted in that one time and made bogey. The next hole, I drove it right down the middle of the fairway, hit an 8-iron right at the hole because I knew I was a little bit, the adrenaline was pumping. It was a 7-iron shot, but I just thought if I hit a solid 8, it would be enough to keep it underneath the hole. It went over the green. I made bogey. 18, I drove it down the right side, took a shot at that front left bend, went right over the pin into the crowd, bogey. So what I remember about that, that part of Augusta, was that uh, adrenaline plays a huge part to be able to control that uh, under those circumstances, being the first major of the year and, uh, and just being the masters. And uh, with all the history and the drama uh, was just was something else that I, I couldn't handle it at the time.
0: Back when you were playing at Augusta in your 12 Masters, and especially in 1981 when you tied for eighth and had a shot at the Green Jacket, do you remember what you hit on the par 5 13th and on the par 5 15th?
1: Well, I wasn't long enough to get there. In two, so I, I'm I'm sure I laid up on both of those goals. Uh, I think I already 13 and I think a par 15.
0: But when you watch on TV now and you see – Dustin Johnson and the big hitters, Driver 8-iron. I mean, has the equipment ruined some of the uh, old golf courses, the traditional, the uh, time-tested great venues?
1: Well, I I don't think there's any question that the equipment has helped a lot of things. The the golf shafts are much more consistent now. They're lighter. Club faces and the club heads themselves, they're heel-weighted and toe-weighted and they're bottom-weighted, easier to get up in the air. The hybrid is now in play. We didn't have that back in the day. We were hitting two and three irons trying to help them up in the air. Now the hybrid pretty much does it on its own. And the golf ball gets up in the air quicker, and it also doesn't spin as much, so it doesn't curve offline. So all of those things are different, all right, than when we play. Uh, I don't think it makes it either better or worse. I think the players of whatever era, the ones what they get used to playing and playing well, uh, then that's what you have to do. You play with the equipment that you're given at that fifteen time. Um, what I do see is I see a lot of players that are a lot stronger than we used to be back in the day. I think uh, Gary Player and, and Frank Stranahan were two guys that, that really worked hard at, at uh, you know, physical fitness. But then you get uh, the, the kids today. we didn't know anything about stretching. We had no idea about stretching. We had no idea about a lot of uh, working on the proper muscles in the game of golf. We had a lot of golf balls. And, uh, and that's probably worked on, on the muscles that you need to do more than anything else. But uh, I don't think uh, – there's no doubt the golf ball goes further. There's no doubt that these guys can hit it further because of some of the, the equipment changes. But I think it's the players themselves that are bigger, they're stronger, uh, they've got wonderful touch, and uh, the depth of talent is incredible on the PGA Tour right now.
0: I know you're working on a second book, that's a little bit of fiction and it's starting to look like the Mueller report. I mean, you're up over 400 pages.
1: <laughs> well, I, I just, I wanted to do this. Uh, you mentioned earlier in, in our talk today that uh, about the psychology, not helping a whole lot in the, in my golf game, but it has helped a little bit in the writing. And also I minored in English in college. So I've always had that kind of idea that I wanted to do something like this. And uh, so I decided to kind of get, a little bit on the seedy side of things and in, 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 uh, how certain things were handled back in the day and maybe even so today a little bit. And uh, just uh, – <laughs> I think it's, it's, it's an interesting book that's taken a lot of different directions and, in fact, enough where I can – I know I can do a sequel if I want to, and uh, I'm thinking about doing a third after that. So we'll see what happens.
0: Do you have a working title for the third book?
1: Not the third, no. Well the first book is called Shafted, the seduction of the lure and it has to do with with things that we fall into traps and it's not just about golf or or sports or anything else it's, it's things that we fall traps we fall into in life that all of a sudden we're in over our heads and we don't know how to get out and you've got to figure out a way to face your demons and take care of that kind of stuff and uh it doesn't help to have people there that that reinforce the bad habits so uh that, that's part of what the first book is, is all about. The second one is going to be about a guy that, that keeps avoid, uh, avoiding the law and avoiding all kinds of people. And this is, uh, and he's a nemesis of these these guys that are really the heroes of the, my my uh, protagonist in the book. So uh, I named that one so far nemesis. It'll probably change, and the titles may change. This has not gone to uh, any proofreading or anything else. I'm just kind of having fun with it right now, Jim.
0: Well, I'm having fun with counting. You've got you've got Hogan's Boy, that's book one. Shafted is book two. Nemesis is book three. Yeah.
1: How about Atonement for book four? Or three? <laughs> I don't know if four is going to be there.
0: Atonement would be you, me, and Nablo, and Donna Capone in Baltimore the day we're trying to record the on-cameras. And who oh. was it that hit the shank and everybody fell on the ground as we're taping those oh. – uh,
1: Nablow, no I hit the shank. I had I had never shanked the ball in competition in my life, and we got we kept doing it. I kept hitting these shots up there about two and three or four feet, whatever. And all of a sudden, now we're we're taking all this kind of stuff. On uh, our sixth take, we got everything perfect except the shot. Then I shanked it over Nablow's head. That's yeah, I remember that.
0: Well, and that was the day Frank couldn't speak. I mean, he couldn't say his name without a cue card, and finally I went over and grabbed a lady out of the gallery and just said, you're our new guest analyst, and she did it. He nailed it perfectly.
1: Yeah, she did. (laughs) Oh, those fun times, man. They really were
0: everybody go to the bookstore and pick up a copy of hogan's boy a journey in golf by john mahaffey a forward by none other than mr arnold palmer and then watch in the bookstores at your barnes and noble for shafted coming to a uh, barnes and noble soon our guest has a birthday coming up on may the 19th pga champion from 1978 john mahaffey 10-time winner on the pga tour and my friend from some 40 years. Thanks for being on 19th hole, Johnny.
1: My pleasure, Jim. You know, anytime. Give me a shout.
0: Go take Elizabeth to dinner and put it on my Blockbuster card.
1: I've already done that twice.
0: How unlike you. It would have been three or four times by now.
1: I know. Thanks, my friend.
0: Be safe, Johnny.
1: You too. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to Jim Kelly's 19th Hole. We hope we've entertained. We hope you've learned something. And most importantly, we hope you'll come back. So if you liked what you heard, please come join the Jim Kelly 19th Hole community. That's right, Apple Podcast, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. Again, subscribe. It's free.